Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. So excited you could join us, and I wanted to throw out there, we'd love for you all to please like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Congrats to all of you who submitted early applications. November 1 was yesterday, and well... Right now, it's in the future, but by the time this podcast airs, it will be yesterday. So congrats to all of you for getting those in early uh, and just a plea to you from your parents, counselors, uh, and, and from your future self to get the rest of it done now. Don't leave the rest to the last minute. Um Today, we're going to talk a little bit about gap years and PG years, and we're also going to talk about resumes and their role, if any, in the college application process. Um, But before we get to that, I'm really excited to welcome my colleague and former uh, financial aid officer at Loris College, um, Zachary Grease, who's going to talk to us a little bit about financial aid notification timelines for those of you who have submitted those early applications. Hi, Zach. Hey there. Hey, Beth. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad to have you here today. And I think one of the one of the things we do get a lot of questions about when families, when students are applying um, in early rounds. So whether that's rolling or early decision or early action or priority uh, is, you know, the ever important when are we going to find out how much money we're getting, um, if any from a college, whether that's financial aid or merit aid. And so we thought we could talk about um, that timeline today, especially because it's top of mind for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think my first question for you is, um, in terms of notifications, there are different between difference between when you might find out about merit aid versus financial aid offer letters and notifications. What's your sense of that? Yes, I, I think there that's a great question and it's good to delineate because I I worked at a college that gave merit scholarships. And because of the motive we had with merit, we presented that early. So we yeah. started admitting students early. We wanted them to know at the time we admitted them that we're really excited to see you here. Here's some assistance to keep you interested and perhaps try to have you come do visits. So my sense on merit scholarship money from an admissions announcement is that that happens much earlier in the timeline. If the college begins doing admissions sometime in the next month or so, I would guess that many colleges might include those dollars and that contribution right on the letter. I've also heard of situations where some colleges may send a follow-up from the financial aid office a week or two after. So that's a relatively early process when we talk about merit and, and scholarships and that nature. If I compare that to the financial aid notifications, those are gonna be more holistic. And so you're gonna have the admitted students who applied early and got their materials in, and then the school has to receive the financial aid applications of which there's two, a CSS profile and a FAFSA. And then they gotta put all the data together and try to make sense of it in a way that helps students understand things students and the families that are considering that school. And so that usually comes in my experience sometime in January for some colleges, they might try to get it out early. Sometimes it might be middle of May, late May, early April, but I think that'll be a much later announcement. And unfortunately, from my perspective, that's the more valuable announcement. Right, right. <laughs> Notification, well, so. Yeah, I mean, let's talk um, it's probably a good thing. We did a segment about two weeks ago on the different early ways to apply. But I do think it's important to note, right? So priority deadlines and early action deadlines and rolling admissions, there's no commitment for any of those. So you're t- at, at Loris, you're tossing out that merit aid. When my son was applying to college, he applied to um, some schools that offered merit aid. And as you say, he got those, he got information on that right alongside the information about, hey, congratulations, we've mm-hmm. admitted you. Um, we weren't applying for financial aid, but um, I know that, at like you say, at those schools, the merit aid comes right away. They're kind of hoping, oh, you might accept their offer. But um, yep. 
you might need to wait to find out what the financial aid offer is. And you're going to need to wait, but you have that time because when you get admitted in priority or rolling or early action, you don't have to notify the school that you're going to attend until the May 1 deadline, right? So plenty of time. Um, But with early decision, of course, that's different because you've made a commitment to sort of um, take back all of withdraw all of your other applications and commit to that school. That's the agreement that you made when you applied early decision. So financial aid packages then are typically going to operate a little differently. Can you talk us through that piece of it? Yes, yes. In in I, I think you're spot on because you're committing to a school at the time you find out if you get admitted you may not necessarily have that same value for a financial aid notification because you're already decided. And hopefully for students that are thinking of early decisioning, they've done some other research. We can talk about some of those tools if it'd be helpful. The net price calculators, some of the estimators are valuable in those cases. Mm-hmm. But by that point in time, the colleges, my sense is that they're already saying you need to have done this homework prior. Whereas a student doing regular decision, rolling admissions, colleges have a different perception on that. You you get to work through the process and wait for those notifications to come and then compare. You get to compare one right. option with the other. And the hope is that that helps you make a, a decision that's better suited to your values. Right. I know that when you you get to compare, and that's the one thing, one of the big things that you don't get with early decision, right? You don't get that opportunity to compare financial aid packages. True. I know that um, at Penn, where I worked, the financial aid award came was delivered right alongside the decision, which arrived in um, typically in mid-December. Um, mm. And I know that when I applied to college in the dark ages, the financial aid award came alongside my decision then too. Although interestingly enough, the FAFSA was not available until um, a later date, the way it will be this year. Um, yes. So can we talk a little bit about how, so the FAFSA, and we've done some segments on this one already, mm-hmm. is new this year. There's a simplified version that's, that is going to be unveiled. Mm-hmm. Um, for the past few years, the FAFSA has been available as of October 1st, but it didn't used to be. Um, and this year it's not, it's, we're well past October 1st. It's still not available. So talk us through that piece a little bit, if you will. Yeah, sure. will. and, and for some context for the listeners, the FAFSA used to be, used to reference the immediate prior year's tax information. Right. So the FAFSA would open January 1st of 2024, for those of you who have seniors in high school, and it would reference 2022 three's income. Yes. So the challenge that that imposes is that if a, if a family didn't do their tax returns until middle of February, typically they're scrambling because they want to then do the FAFSA. Right. They, they either had to estimate numbers on the FAFSA or wait until they did their taxes and then submit, which meant schools didn't get the records until middle of February, end of February, and then they had to scramble to get the notifications out. A couple of years back, maybe five years ago, they they referenced a prior prior income year, which allowed them to open up the FAFSA on October 1st. And we've been spoiled by that yes. for about five years. And so I, to your point, I, my sense is that we're, we're bumping that FAFSA start back to December at some point. Whenever they, it's still going to reference the prior prior year income. So as soon as it opens up, families should have all the tax information they need, right. but it is going to perhaps delay what we've been accustomed to for about five years with the FAFSA opening October 1st and being ready and having taxes and being able to right. kickstart that process early. So spot on, I was looking at a few schools yesterday just in anticipation of this, and I noticed on their website, some of them were saying, submit the FAFSA ASAP. <laughs> they had some <laughs> ambiguous language. Others right. had very specific deadlines, but it was substantially after December, you know, January 15th, February 15th, February 1st. So I think that should give families hopefully a little bit of peace of mind um, in in relation to the FAFSA. Yeah. And I think, you know, as with anything, some colleges are doing a really excellent job of being transparent and specific and saying, we know it's not available yet when it's probably going to become available here and here's where we're going to want it. And then others are saying, submit it ASAP, which is not particularly helpful, but, you know, again, this is not a segment about that. Um, exactly. But this does bring us to how was it all, all those years ago that you could deliver a financial aid package? Again, different from merit, right? Merit is discretionary. The colleges who offer merit are going to make a decision about 
who are their best applicants in the pool that year, who they're most hoping will come to their campus, and they're going to give those students merit. Financial aid is based purely on a family's ability to pay, mm-hmm. and it's and it's forms like the FAFSA that help a college determine that. However, how did they used to do it if they weren't getting that FAFSA information until January, February? And that brings us to the CSS profile. Um, So talk to us about that and those deadlines and how that might allow a college to package a student before receiving the FAFSA. That's a great, great question and a good segue. So CSS profile normally has opened up on October 1st, as has the FAFSA. Both forms can be done same timeline concurrently. Some colleges require both. The CSS profile, typically a high-level contrast from the FAFSA, it requires more information. So it captures everything right. the FAFSA does and then some. So in on one hand, what I think is optimistic for students considering a college that requires a CSS profile is that because the CSS profile is capturing more information and everything that's already on the FAFSA anyways, yeah, colleges can make some pretty strong assumptions and it may not really modify their standard timeline a whole lot. The FAFSA becomes more of a formality in that right. case. I worked at a college that only required the FAFSA and I know there was talk of some schools maybe using CSS profile for one year because it was capturing more information. I That's a lot of work for a college to implement if it's just going to be for one year. So it wouldn't surprise me that many colleges chose maybe not to do that. And they just said, hey, we'll just delay the process if we're a FAFSA only school. But the CSS profile should help families maybe continue with the more normal timelines, even right. though they'll still have to do the FAFSA. I think that would be how I'd answer. Yeah, exactly. And so, for example, place like Penn, place like Cornell, basically all of the Ivies, many of the selective private schools out there who offer ED um, are requiring the pro- the profile, which is what's going to allow them, I think, to package these students in plenty of time. Because what none of these schools are going to expect is that they're going to admit a student in an early decision. That student needs financial aid and is going to say, yep, I'm committing to you. I'm withdrawing all of my other applications before they know what that aid package is going to be. Because you can do the, the net price calculators, you can do your due diligence And still, what you think you're going to get and what the college gives you are not always going to be aligned. Um, I used to travel with, um, when I was working at Penn, we traveled with Harvard, Georgetown, um, and Duke. And one of the representatives from the other college used to say, you know, there's a difference between what you want to pay for college and what the sometimes the college feels you can pay for college. And those two are not always aligned, um, often not aligned, quite honestly, right? So, yeah. Yep. That's, that's such a great point. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I do think that if, if the schools you're looking at, you know, we always talk about on the podcast, I've heard you say it, know your deadlines. Yes. If you're looking at a FAFSA only school, you know, just anticipate maybe more of a, a delayed process, but you're spot on with the CSS assumption that, um, yeah. And, you know, and if you are applying to a school that offers ED and they only require the FAFSA, those are good questions to ask. If you they don't are. get a package when you get your decision, um, my guess is that that school is going to be willing to allow you to remain in the pools with the other schools until they're able to give you a package. Um mm-hmm. I don't, frankly, but there are so many colleges out there, I would never say, I know for sure that there isn't a school with ED that only requires it, because I'm sure that that's not true. But, um, you know, if, and I think we probably would be remiss if we didn't reiterate that if if ability to pay, like, if you're, if you have a very limited amount of money to pay for college, and you know you cannot pay more than that, and you, you know, early decision just simply may not be the way that you go right? It's risky. Yeah, it is. Completely agree. It is risky, unfortunately. Um, I, although I will say you can be re- released from the, the the commitment, but that also means that your your student will be released altogether. They rescind the uh, offer of admission and now you are you know going to see what happens at your regular decision school. So um, they're certainly not going to hold you to paying $85,000 a year if you can't, you don't have that money, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, but then you lose. So that's true. All right. Any, any last thoughts on, on this piece? 
Back. You know, the only thing I may go back to just just briefly, I was skimming through some of the notes I had seen to help families think about how are schools languaging this? And I, I noticed that some schools use really ambiguous language, too. You know, we talked about some saying ASAP, some saying I saw one school that said December 1st. But then they had a little asterisk and they clarified this is our suggested timeline. So yes. I, I maybe I thought of that because you said, hey, contact the schools. And, and my sense would be just to reiterate that point, if there's any confusion on your part about these timelines or how things work, use the school's website. But don't be afraid to contact the college, because I do think it's important to understand exactly when and how and and you know, why you got to do these different forms and things like that. So Right, exactly. And asking questions is never a bad thing. And the college is never going to penalize you for asking questions, provided that, you know, you ask them nicely. Yes, <laughs> Just, exactly. As I assume you would. Um, yep. There'll be zero penalty for that. They're never going to take away an offer of admission because you dared to ask a question about something as important as how much it's going to cost you to go mm -hmm. there. So absolutely. Anyway. All right, Zach, thank you so much for joining today. This was really helpful. Yes, absolutely. It was a pleasure and have a good afternoon. All right. You too. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about Gap and PG years. So don't go away. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Have you ever noticed how a television show or a movie uses accent or language differences to communicate meaning to the audience about characters? If not, listen to Accent That with your host, Gail Marie. You'll learn the importance of vocality and how it works. Accent That, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a college coach conversation. Um, so for the break, I said we were going to talk about gap and PG years, and by God, we're going to talk about Gap and PG years. And joining me for that conversation is my colleague, uh, Zarago Zaguerra, who also happens to be a former MIT, Caltech, and Boston Conservatory admissions officer. Hi, Zaragoza. Hi, Beth. Good seeing you again. Nice to see you as well. All right. Gap years, PG years. Um, it does feel like every year, right around maybe late fall, early winter, um, there are students out there who just aren't interested in engaging in the college application process, um, aren't maybe are struggling to engage in it because they're really focused on their schoolwork or they're maybe exhausted and they just don't want to think about going and doing more school next year. And the concept of gap years and PG years come up. And that's not the only reason. Those aren't the only reasons. There are other reasons that students consider these options. But we always think it's a good idea to talk about these and, and help people understand you know, what they can and can't do for you, basically. Um, so why don't we start with some basic definitions? What, what's a gap year? Yeah, gap year sounds like the term gap, right? So there is a gap between yeah. your high school um, experience and uh, your college experience. 
So students can take a year off, perhaps two years off, um, gaining experience. And that experience could be anything academic oriented. It could be um, something that is talent oriented, whether it's in music, it could just be a break <laughs> from yes. academics. You know, this, you're right. There, you know, students can be exhausted. We've, we've gone through a rough four years. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, and why not take a year off to just gain composure, to gain insight into your life and, and uh, before taking that big leap uh, into college, okay? So that's an opportunity just for growth. Um, sometimes it could also be used for you know, basic maturity. Sometimes some students might uh, start uh, high school a little bit early and uh, they just want a time to, to catch up with their cohort. Right. So they might take a, a gap year um, to do that. And as I said, it could be in anything from academics to talent oriented to travel, uh, to just <laughs> gelling or taking on a work experience. Yeah, working, right? Something like that. All right, so that's a gap year. What about a PG year? A PG, What's that? Yeah, a PG year is very similar to a gap year. It stands for postgraduate year. And um, the main difference between a, a PG year and a gap year is that there's not really a break in terms of academics. Um, a student is spending time at a prep school at an independent school. Oftentimes these are going to be uh, up in the Northeast yep. um, and uh, they're going to be spending uh, time taking classes. Um, it could be that a student is doing a PG year because, uh, you know, they might've had a, an illness that put them back academically, or they might've had a sports injury, or they might have had bad grades and they want to improve upon their academic record. Um, a PG year gives them the opportunity to, take classes uh, that are not exactly college classes, but can be as challenging as a mm -hmm. college class because right. these are some of the best uh, private schools in, in the country. And oftentimes they go beyond the AP curriculum. And so this is an opportunity for a student to uh, get some intensive academic um, classes under their belt um, in preparation for college. Um, some students might also use it. Uh, and I think the vast majority of students use a PT year to hone their athletic ability and yeah. hopefully get noticed and get recruited uh, by a college or university after such an experience. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably the place we see it most frequently, right? So kids looking to get bigger, stronger, better. Um, maybe a coach said to them, hey, we'd love to have you on the team, but I'd, we'd like you to go one more year before you come here. Um, or they didn't get recruited, they thought they might. And so now they're going to go play for a team that maybe has a few more eyes on it where they can show off their their skills and abilities. Um, yeah. So, I, I, you know, a couple of key differences, obviously, between these two is that one is a pretty formal, structured thing, and the other mm -hmm. kind of can be a lot of different things. Um, so the gap year can be kind of anything, and the PG year is going to be pretty structured. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I, I think you've kind of touched on the students who might make sense for each of these. So um, I guess my next question for you really is um, the timeline of how this impacts when you apply for college. So, um, you know, what what are your thoughts in terms of a gap year? Do you apply before you do your gap year? Do you apply after or during your gap year? What do you what do you generally see and or advise? Yeah, that's a million dollar question, right? Yes. When when do I do this? And I I think it oftentimes is going to depend on how ready the student is. Um and you know, there are some students who are thinking, you know, I can do this experience you know, whether it's a gap year or a PG year to all of a sudden make myself eligible for a Stanford or a Harvard or, right. you know, an uber selective school. And I'll be able to shine in that year and they're going to notice me. I'm not so sure that is a valid reason for doing such an experience. I think um, if you are hoping to shine for such a school, you should be shining by your senior year. If it's right not happening by then, one more year is probably not going to uh, bring out the luster in your right. application. Uh, yeah. The reality is uh, 
there's not that much time between when you get an answer from a school and when you have to reapply. Okay, right. so it's only um, it, we might call it a gap year, but when you're thinking about um, when you graduate from high school versus when you're going to have to apply to these schools, it's just a matter of a few short months. Okay, right. and that's not enough time to really bring out the luster in your application. But I think if you're the kind of student who, you know, feels you need a little bit more maturity and you're going in recognizing, I'm not ready for this. Right. Um, I, I, I'm just not ready for this. I, I would say absolutely go ahead and, and do a, either a PG year or a gap year. Um, if you're doing a PG year, the advantage of, of that is that you've got some really great counseling yeah. Um, behind you, someone yes. who can really guide you through the admissions process. And so I would probably say if you're doing a PG year, don't apply from high school. Right. Do it from your PG year. If you're doing a gap year, you're not going to have counseling behind you. Um, my advice would be apply before you take your gap year. Um, and uh, see where you get in. You can always ask a school and let them know, look, I'm hoping to take a gap year. Will you let me enroll a year from now? Oftentimes, most schools really do enjoy students who've taken a gap year. I think they recognize sometimes some students might need a break or right. they might uh, simply need a little bit more maturity. And absolutely, we'd rather you take that time to, to mature, knowing that going in than enrolling when you're not necessarily ready. Right, right. Okay. I think the key there, of course, is to make sure that you look at the each school you're going to apply to, you need to look at what their policies are about deferring your acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, because I agree with you, most schools will allow it, but there are definitely schools that won't. And right immediately comes to mind is UMass Amherst, which mm -hmm. is um, used to be my flagship state school. And they don't allow deferrals. So their take is if you want to take a gap year, then you just simply will need to reapply. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't apply. If you apply and you get in and then you decide, I really am not ready, I need this year, then you know you just would reapply again to that school. And certainly while there are no guarantees, um, if you've been admitted once, hopefully you will be again. Um, and then the schools that are incredibly difficult to achieve an acceptance from are typically going to be those that are willing to grant a deferral. I mean, I'm sure, I don't know about your experiences at your three schools, but I know that at Penn, we regularly granted deferrals. We didn't get a ton of requests for them. Mm -hmm. I suppose if half the freshman class said, I want to defer, that might be problematic. But we, you know, year over year, the number of deferrals that were requested um, seemed to match up and be perfectly fine and work yeah. well for us. So yeah, I don't, I don't remember denying any gap year request at MIT or, or Caltech. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it's also going to depend. It, it, you know, you have to recognize gap year rather than gap years, uh, yes. uh, plural. So yes. if, if you know it's only going to be one year, then then absolutely, um, you know, make the ask. If it's going to be for two years, chances are that might not be granted. Right, right. I can I can share one example of a student where, um, because I do really agree with you, if you're not competitive at the level that you, f you want to be getting into, my experience is that, uh, you know, a gap year is not going to suddenly make you competitive. Um, I did work with a student a couple of years ago that for me was a little bit of a cautionary tale where I just think strategically she made some not great choices in her application process. Um, and so in looking at what she'd accomplished, what she was currently doing with her time and what she was hoping to, where she was hoping to go, um, you know, I was able to see opportunity there um, to take to take a different strategic approach, to take a different approach to her gap year than the one that she was going to. Um, and she kind of extended something she was doing that was really interesting um, to do it over the course of the year. And then, but it was something she was already doing. So it wasn't mm -hmm. something new she was trying to create, right? Um, and that did work out for her. But I think I shared as a as a tale of an example where like occasionally, but it's it's the it's the exception that proves the rule, which is in general, this is not going to be your path to a highly selective or a 
much more selective school than you're currently competitive at. So, um, you know, absolutely. Colleges are looking for that upward trajectory, right? So if in the PG year, I think this is also good to note for the PG year, what you mentioned is maybe your grades weren't as good as you wanted them to be, right? But if they weren't great in senior year, the PG year impact is going to be pretty limited. But if it was freshman year that you stumbled and, you know, or and you didn't really write the ship until the middle of sophomore year, but now you've been going like gangbusters, maybe that PG year can prove that you can sustain that level at a really, at a much more challenging level. Yeah. And I think also if you're a student who, you know, is looking for a particular course of study and you came to that a little late, you know, so for example, if you're interested all of a sudden in the middle of high school or you become interested in something like engineering, right? Right. But you weren't on the track to become an engineer. You weren't on the track to take BC calculus. You weren't on the track to take physics and so forth. And those are going to be some requisite courses for admission to an engineering program. And that's going to be the expectation. So I I think if you can use that PG year to beef up your curriculum, to make yourself a little bit more eligible for such a program, it's not necessarily going to, as I said, grant you admission to the most super selective schools, but it is going to hopefully help within a selective academic program that's going to be expecting certain coursework. Right, exactly. And, you know, maybe it's BC Calc, or maybe it's you're not on track to even hit Calc, or maybe you're not even on track to hit pre-Calc, right? Because there are engineering programs where maybe they don't expect quite that level of math achievement, but maybe your math achievement is pretty limited and you've taken some classes, but you haven't exactly achieved, right? But to your point, now suddenly you find this love of it and that PG year allows you to add those courses in. Um, I think that's a really good example Mm -hmm. of where that can impact, you know, your ability to do what you've suddenly decided you want to do or newly decided that you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Any other, as we kind of wrap this up, any other, um, thoughts on the gap year or the PG year pathway and and any examples maybe of students that you've seen make good use of that time? Yeah, you know, I did have, you know, much like you were talking about that student of yours who you encouraged them to remain on that path that you figured would would get them into a school. I, I did have one student who did not get into a really competitive school. And Anytime I have a student who is opting for a gap year, thinking that that might um, positively impact their outcomes down the road, I'm generally encouraging them and letting them know perhaps two gap years yeah. uh, could be the path that you know allowed one of my students who was not admitted to a particular school get admitted two years down the road after right. having had a full-time job, after having had a research experience after having improved his scores and so forth. He needed two years time right. to do all of that, not just, you know, one or two or, you know, several months time to, to do that. Um, so that that could be an option. But, you know, you're putting off college for two years. So right. I'm generally telling students that's something you really have to weigh. Do you want to take two years off on a chance that right. you might get it? Um, but- so generally speaking, I, I, I'm generally encouraging students you know, don't necessarily do it for that particular reason. Do it because you want an experience, because you want to learn something. You know, the goal should be the gap year, not necessarily the college admissions decision down the road. Yeah, a hundred percent. Can't stress that enough because to your point, you're putting off college for two years, which means you're putting off your future earnings for two years, which means, you know, which is not always ideal. And again, while what we do for a living is help students navigate the college process, the fact is that where you go is not the be all end all. It's what you do with where you end up. And then what you do beyond that, because college ideally is four years. I mean, maybe it's five. God, I hope it's not six for your parents' sake, right? But, you know, it's four years of a, of what hopefully will be a very long life. And this is not going to be the make or break for that life. Um, and that's a good thing for all of us probably to keep in mind. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. 
One really quick point I also want to make, if you've been admitted somewhere and you are deferring your acceptance, most of those colleges that defer your acceptance will expect that you are going to then join them and not expect that you're going to use that deferral time to apply to other schools. That was not acceptable for us at Penn. I don't know about for you at MIT and Caltech. My guess is it didn't happen very often, right? But, um, you know. I agree. Make your decision and move on with your life. And and just know that if you do have a desire to attend a school, know there's always graduate school. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Sarah Goza, thank you so much for joining us. So nice to see you today. Nice being here, Beth. All right. Wonderful. Um, We're going to take another small break. And when we come back, we're talking about resumes and whether or not they really have a role in the college application process. Uh, So please do not go away. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results... 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. The Feng Shui way to peace, balance, and abundance with Catherine Dean is about bringing the benefits of Feng Shui to the forefront, allowing everyone with an interest to learn and understand how its principles can work in one's day-to-day life. We'll demystify Feng Shui, show its many applications, and allow the listener to understand how and why it is so useful. The goal is to educate, entertain, and spread the word about using Feng Shui Way to bring about peace, balance, and abundance to one's life. The Feng Shui Way with Catherine Dean, Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We are talking about resumes. And joining me is my colleague, Jen Simons, who's a former admissions officer at Tufts, Northeastern, Connecticut College, and Barnard, and a former school counselor. And I think that's particularly relevant to our conversation today, the fact that she's worked at all of these different colleges, because we're going to talk about a hot button item, and that is the resume. Hi, Jen. Hi, it's so good to see you, Beth. You too. So Jen, I want you to share when we decided to do this segment, this primary goal was a PSA from you. So let's, I want the PSA and then we'll talk a little bit more in depth about why and maybe offer a slight counterpoint. Okay, that sounds good. Um, What you didn't mention when you listed my previous accomplishments was my current most important accomplishment, which is that I produced this podcast. And I very very rarely, I'm only telling that because (laughs) I very rarely put myself on the schedule, but I decided to put myself on the schedule proactively because we get lots and lots of questions. And after, should I submit my SAT or ACT? The second most popular question is, should I submit a resume in addition to my, um, you know, extracurricular list on the application. So I wanted to do, as you said, a public service announcement on behalf of the admissions officers out there, which is to say, no, you do not need, in my opinion and their opinion, um, to submit anything more 
than is required in the Common App activities list. Right. Um, admissions officers have a short amount of time to read your application. They want to focus on what's necessary and Ten um, extracurricular activities is more than enough to give even the most um, involved students an opportunity to let their light shine. I will call attention to the fact that MIT only allows four activities. Yes. And if those kids are getting into one of the nation's most selective universities, and we all know that they're high achievers, then I think that 10 is enough for every student. Right. And and I am 100% in agreement with you. Um, we will would like to note, right, so the we'd like to give the colleges what they ask for. If a school, obviously, if a school asks for a resume, then by God, give them a resume. Um, however, if they give you the opportunity to submit a resume, what I would caution, and I'm guessing you would second, is that giving you the opportunity does not mean they're asking you for it. Um, what happens in a lot of admissions offices, um, from my experience, is students want to give you so much. They just want to share everything. And sometimes you just kind of throw your hands up and say, okay, fine. You want to send us a resume? Here here is an opportunity, you can send us a resume. Doesn't mean they really want it, doesn't mean they need it, just means that they are kind of waving the white flag because so many students are asking for that opportunity. I mean, would you agree with that? A hundred percent. And I thought about this a long time because I, I have a very different opinion about things that are quote optional when they put optional in yes. um, parentheses. This is not, an. this is an opportunity. This is not an optional. And I guarantee it's because mothers, excuse me, I'm obviously a mother or not obviously, but I'm a mother. So I feel like I could criticize my brethren and say that it was a mother calling up and saying, my daughter doesn't have enough room on the application to list all of the fabulous things that she's done and and mother after mother like got this change so i want moms to redirect their energies to other things but now that's colleges, true <laughs> that's true i know but I, <laughs> I i know it's a stereotype but anyway um so i think that um yeah, i 100% agree with you this is not an optional thing this is we're giving you the opportunity if you don't complete this opportunity if you don't fulfill this then it doesn't reflect negatively in any way Right. And I will say, um, we actually used to sometimes have a problem with students um, not completing the activity section of the application. Um, now, this is going back now. You can't, well, you could put one activity in or you could say, no, I don't have any activities to report. That would then show as blank and then submit a resume because you like the resume format. I mean, I can't tell you I don't even know what other words I could use to say other than absolutely do not ever do this. Um, did you ever see that? I saw it oh, a few times. That my my three <laughs> least favorite words are please be attached. Yeah, I, no. If, if we're asking for it, if a college is asking for it, we are asking for it for a reason. We know you sent something, but we want you to fill this out. So right. 100% agree. Yes. And, you know, I, I, we've said this many, many times on this podcast, in presentations. I've certainly said it in one-on-one -on -one conversations with students and parents. In this process, as difficult as it is to believe, less is actually more. Um, you know, I had 15 minutes with every file at Penn. That is a luxurious amount of time to read compared to how much time um, many schools uh, allow for people to read files. I mean, I think you were saying, you know, there are places where you have five minutes. Um, I'm not even sure the 15 minutes is valid anymore because the numbers have skyrocketed so much. And the numbers of people who work in the admissions offices have not skyrocketed, which means they are they have less time to review every file, right? So make it easy, make it quick. Absolutely. Fair? It's that it's that, oh, hundred percent. It's that book, um, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo, where she tells you to only include things that spark joy and yes. that when you have too much stuff, it detracts from the important things that you absolutely want them to see. And so Yes, you, you want to direct their eye to, you You want to be able to pare down, to edit, not just dump everything, because they're not going to have the time to do the editing for you. 
you right. want to do for them. In fact, if it's too much stuff, what they will often do is just move on to the next thing. Um, and that is 100% not what you want to have happen. Okay. I think we've established pretty clearly here <laughs> that this resume, not a good idea. Um, however, there might be a few instances where something like this might not be a bad idea. But let's talk for a second about this whole concept of calling it a resume. Uh Because, you know, you were saying a resume is a great thing to have when you are getting ready to graduate from college and you're looking to get a job, right? Or even when you're in college. I remember when I was hiring people in the admissions office, we would look to see who had work experience. Like, so I do think you need a a resume, not for this purpose, but. Right, exactly. For this purpose, um, I don't think a proper the resume format that you're going to use when you're looking for a job is has any place in this. My the the skies open, the 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 clouds parted, and the sun came out when I was reading a file at Penn, and the student had submitted something extra, and it was in the same format that we asked for their activities in. Um, and it only listed a few additional things that they hadn't been able to fit on the application, which meant it was easy for me to read it because it was a format I was very familiar with. It provided all of the information that I needed about each of these activities because that's what we asked about all the other activities. And it wasn't repeating anything that I'd already seen on the application. So what are your thoughts on that type of an addition to the application? I think until you've sat from December to March reading file after file after file, you don't appreciate what your eyes yes. <laughs> experience and what your brain, like you exactly what you said, you want everything to be in the same format because you don't want to have to put in any additional work to sort of get the information you need. And if somebody gives me like a chronological resume, that is it a to- And of course, a resume, you said this, it's going to be a different format, because right. you're not going to give an employer your common app extracurricular list. So just right. any sort of resume is going to be different. If you can replicate the format of the common app, perfect, that's fine, you can add what you want. But I think that you, you just want your eyes to be able to immediately assess what they need to. And the easiest way to do that is to keep the order that was kept before. Now, even for a real resume, where it's going to be in a different format, one of the things we see a lot, because we certainly edit a lot of these, is, um, you know, multiple, multiple, like four page resumes for high school students. And that is, banana pants, you know, like I've looked at resumes for CEOs that are two pages, like it doesn't need to be that long. Again, I think even for that purpose, you just want to be able to scan. Right, exactly. It really shouldn't be any more than one page additional. I mean, in a perfect world, if you need to add a couple of additional activities that are really important, or you really want to expand slightly on a couple of activities because the word count is so limited, for a reason, but maybe you really do need, and sometimes there are occasions where it really is helpful, and you haven't written about that app, that uh, activity, right in an essay or something like that. The place for this is additional information, which is limited to 650 words, but still, um, it's there for this purpose rather than submitting an entirely new document. Um, if it's in the additional information, then it's right there when your AO is reading the file versus having to download or scan a whole other thing that, you know, just isn't part of the application in the format that you're asking it for. All right. I'm trying to think if there are any other tips or hints we can offer about resumes. You know, there's a couple of things that I hate to see. I I prefer to call it an activities grid. Please, for the love of God, don't tell me what classes you took and what grade you got in them. Like, I mean, that's a huge one for me. I don't know about for you. Oh, I can I can top that. That's a huge one for me. But my least favorite is when they have like a sort of statement of purpose. Yeah. Or, you know, honey, your purpose is to get into college and get right. a 
but you know, like you don't need. I I don't mind in a personal resume that's being used for job search purposes to have some of the highlights. Like if you're fluent in another language, if there's something you're like you you've done over you know five thousand you know puzzles or something like that. That's going to be a conversation starter in an interview in a job format. But that's not the application. You have the rest of the application to start that conversation. It's going to be a one-sided conversation because the admissions officer is not going to be able to respond. But um, Right, exactly. It, it is, it, it's, you shouldn't, whatever this is, if you're providing additional information, it should not be repeating what is already on the application. That I mean, that's the cardinal rule. If I've read it once, I definitely don't want to read it again. Um, and so stick to if it's truly important to add, make sure that it is adding and not um, repeating. All right, we had a little bit of a technical challenge and we lost Jen for the end, but I could tell you that she agreed with me on the making sure it's adding and not repeating. I do want to thank Jen and all of my guests for being here today. Um, next week, Ian is hosting, uh, and we're all about underclassmen next week. So what you can be doing now from both an admissions and a financial perspective, or a college finance perspective, that is. Um, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to yours. And if you would, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more of those that we get, the easier it is for people to find this podcast um, and listen to us as well. Um, if you have questions, you can always send them to us on Facebook, on Instagram. You could send them to our email, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Um, we do monthly listener question segments. So send those in and we'll answer them on air. We'll try to answer them on air. Um, if you're interested in learning, if we've covered a topic of interest, um, we blog about every podcast. So go to our blog and search there, blog.getintocollege.com. Um, and don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.